What's good? You already know who it is, and if you don't know who it is, it's your man Leon Benson, aka Leon Genesis, aka your mom's favorite personal trainer, aka Let's Get It, aka Let's Work, aka Theatris Thompson in the building. What it do? We back at it again, man. This is episode 119, season three of the Passion Purpose Perspective podcast by yours truly. We out here. We working. Last episode, we talked about cardio versus weight training and which burned more calories. Now, we also gave an economic update on what's going on in the world of finance and how things are just really beginning to melt down um, and people are starting to get panicky. So if you want to go back into the feed and check out episode 118, you can do that. Let's get into today's episode. By the way, it's Sunday, fun day, October 2nd, 2022. So today we're going to talk about pre-workout cycling and then we're going to get into uh, just some of the ways that you can begin to value uh, stocks that you own by looking at things like annual reports. So that being said, let's get into the fitness portion of today's episode. So pre-workout cycling. What the hell is that? What does it mean? So typically before people work out, They like to get their music ready. They obviously got to get their gear right. Whatever their favorite workout clothes are, they're going to put them on. Um, Some people eat before they work out uh, just to get some energy from carbs, carbohydrates, maybe some proteins. Um, Other people, they like to consume some branch chain amino acids or electrolytes. And then you have individuals that like to kick it up a notch and consume things like pre-workouts. So pre-workouts are specifically designed to give you a boost of energy. They're designed to give your muscles a pump um, just to create more blood flow. They're also designed to give you more focus during your workouts. And of course, as far as like the energy aspect, um, there's a lot of pre-workouts that contain stimulants, things that are going to amp you up. So caffeine, different forms of caffeine. Um, So obviously there's different types of side effects that come with that, but that's beside the point. I came across a few articles, which is why I'm talking about this today. Um, And one of the articles uh, suggested that it's not necessary or you don't need to cycle on and off of pre-workout supplements. So basically, the article was kind of breaking down that even if you consistently use pre-workout supplements, you're still going to get the benefits of all of the compounds that are in it, all of the ingredients that are in it. You're still going to get the benefits from it during a workout and the fact that you don't have to cycle off of it. Cycling off of it would mean that you basically stop taking pre-workouts for uh, a specific amount of time. Um, And this is just to allow your body to flush itself of the supplement. And then another thing is just to kind of reintroduce it to your body. So that way 
it will work more effectively the same way that it worked when you when you previously first had began taking it. Um, so just briefly looking at uh, the second article that I have found online, it basically said that, like I said, it's not necessary um, and that you still get the benefits of it. And as somebody who used to take pre-workout every single day, um, honestly, I kind of disagree with what the article was saying um, because, yeah, I was an individual that took pre-workout seven days a week. Um, I was and I was taking a pretty strong ass pre-workout. Um, it was like 350 milligrams, 350. No, it was 300 milligrams of caffeine per scoop. And at one point I was taking two scoops a day. And then on top of that, I was consuming other forms of caffeine as far as like just sodas and whatnot. Um, so I was way, I was bugging out. Like I was beyond, I was beyond tripping. Um, and I was getting some ne- negative side effects from that, which I spoke about um, either in the last episode or the episode before that. So that was the thing that made me think about like recently, like, man, maybe I should just completely stop using pre-workout altogether And just allow my body to kind of, you know, cleanse itself of whatever, you know, ingredients are in the pre-workout, especially the caffeine and the creatine, just so I can kind of get a fresh start and get the same effects as far as like getting the tingling sensations that you get um, from the beta alanine and and just, yeah, really feeling the energy of the pre-workout supplement. However, I still haven't done that yet. But like I mentioned in a previous episode, I used to take it seven days a week. Now I only take it three times a week. Um, and in the beginning, I did notice um, that I uh, my sensitivity to pre-workouts kind of bumped back up a little bit uh, once I went from seven days a week to three days a week. But of course, at some point, my body is probably going to adapt to the dosages that I'm using now, which is one scoop or maybe one and a quarter scoops uh, three times a week. At some point, I'm probably going to build up a tolerance to it. Um, So there was another article that I found online by Jessica Bell that suggests that it can be beneficial to take a break from uh, a supplements that contain caffeine and creatine. The article went on to say that there's no research to support cycling on and off of supplements, but that taking a break from pre-workout is a good idea because prolonged use can downgrade uh, receptors in the body, which decreases the effectiveness of the pre-workout over time. And then it went on to suggest a schedule of cycling. So basically saying you could take pre-workout for six to eight weeks and then you can follow that up by going cold turkey for two to three weeks. And again, that is to kind of just re-stimulate the receptors, which that's just a fancy way of saying the, the parts of your body that actually utilize the compounds or the ingredients and, and have a reaction to the pre-workout supplements that you're consuming. Um, so yeah, I mean, honestly, 
I'm so used to taking pre-workouts at this point that it just becomes, you know, almost like I just have like a stubborn way of using pre-workouts. Like I said, went from seven days to three days. Honestly, in the beginning, pre-workout made me feel like a superhero, made me feel like I could do anything, made me feel like I had all types of crazy ass energy. And then, yeah, like I said, over time, it just, it starts to wear down like the article suggests. Um, so yeah, you just, you become dependent on it, but also too, it's a psychological dependency on supplements, whether it's protein powders, pre-workouts, uh, you know, any other types of, of well, fat burners, some people take fat burners. Fat burners also, too, are highly stimulative. They have a lot of stimulants in them as well as, as, well as caffeine. I've done fat burners. I've taken fat burners before. Didn't really like them. And, of course, my body adapted to them. So it was, it was a waste. After a while, you don't really feel the same effects. So, again, this is why people will cycle off of various types of supplements. But specifically, uh, just caffeine-induced supplements like pre-workouts. Uh, so, yeah. But, yeah, with my experience, like I said, um, I still consume it, but now I only consume it three times a week. I still feel some of the effects of it sometimes. Here and there, I'll get the little tingles or whatever. Um, but, again, at the same time, I'm somebody who is an avid uh, exerciser, an avid trainer or whatever like I'm always training all the time um and I love it so much that even just thinking about exercise or just getting ready to train even before I take supplements I start to get energized and pumped up um so to be honest I really don't know how much of an effect my my usage of pre-workout has on me now versus when I used to take it every single day because again I love exercising like I just love it, man. I love it. That's it's it's the light of my life. Like it's a wonderful thing. Like that's my drug. Exercising and just feeling the burn, getting a sweat, like going crazy, just pushing your body to the limits. Um, just seeing what you can do as a human being. Um, and also too, there's so many health benefits to consistently exercising every every week. Uh, whether you do three times a week or you know six times a week, whatever the case may be. So yeah, for me it's kind of it's kind of foggy just to gauge how how effective it really is for me at this point, but I definitely feel like yeah, maybe it's probably it probably doesn't have the same effect on me as it would uh somebody who maybe takes it only once a week or every every other day or maybe every other week or somebody who obviously doesn't take it at all. Um so yeah, but um, as far as some of the ingredients in pre-workouts that, that cause certain types of effects or give you, you know, pump or energy or whatever, uh, some of the main ones is uh, beta alanine, which regulates acid in muscles and prevents fatigue. Um, so, yeah, it kind of stops you from getting exhausted or kind of getting tired. Um, and that's just at the, at the most basic levels. Like, it's, it's not going to... It's not going to have you like, you know, give you the ability to run a marathon if you've never trained for a marathon or never ran a marathon or for, you know, deadlift and 500 pounds. If you never like it isn't that pre-workout is not like a miracle supplement. It's literally just that it is supplementation to eating enough 
calories before you train um, just to kind of give you a little extra boost. Anyway, going back to uh, some of the other main ingredients, creatine monohydrate. So creatine monohydrate is often in a lot of different pre-workout supplements. So that will increase muscle performance in short duration, high intensity exercises, i.e. lifting weights um, or doing sprint work, perhaps like short, uh, just short sprints, 100 meter sprints, 40 yard dashes, things like that, or maybe even like a 400 meter um, runs. And then another thing is uh, arginine silicate insul- uh Jesus, inositol. I can't even say that, Jesus. Uh, I'll just say arginine uh, silicate. That ingredient increases energy levels, muscle pump, and has a decreased uh, biomark of muscle damage immediately after a workout and during recovery. So yeah, as you can see, as far as just those three, and those aren't the only things that are in pre-workout. There's a lot of other supplements and ingredients that are inside of pre-workout. I just wanted to write down those few uh, just to give you guys kind of a glimpse of what's what's in pre-workout supplements and just what some of the ingredients do, what they're designed to do. Um, so again, going back over all the various, not the various, just the three, um, like I said, the beta alanine regulates acid in muscles and prevents fatigue. The creatine monohydrate increases muscle performance in short duration, high intensity exercises. Arginine silicate increases energy levels, your, the, the muscle pump. So the hardness that you feel in your muscles when you're lifting weights, if you're lifting weights, and then um, decreases the biomarks of muscle damage immediately after a workout and during recovery. So yes, there are some, some major benefits to pre-workout. However, like I said, um, over time, you definitely be, can become dependent on it, but also too, your sensitivity to the pre-workout will definitely decrease over time. Um, when you first take pre-workout, uh, especially if it has a lot of uh, beta alanine in it um, and, and like B12s, vitamin B12s, different things like that, man, you get the tingling sensation and it's just wild. It just feels itchy all over your skin. And I used to get that feeling, but now I don't get that feeling anymore. And that could just be because of some of the ingredients that are not in the current pre-workout that I use. But um, yeah, getting back to cycling on and off. Um, clearly, I'm not a proponent of cycling on and off just because, like I said, I, I habitually use it, um, which could be a bad habit. I'm not honestly, I'm not really sure, but I'm definitely... I feel like I'm much more immune to just the the usual side effects of it. Another thing pre-workout does, it definitely makes you go to the bathroom, um, you know, whether you're doing number one or number two, because especially if you're doing number one, if you're taking a piss, because uh, one of the one of the. I guess you can call it a benefit. I don't know. It depends. But just one of the side effects of taking uh, high dosages of caffeine is that it kind of acts as like a, a, a natural diuretic, so to speak. So even if you drink like coffee or soda um, that is caffeinated, and in this case, pre-workout, it's probably going to make you take a piss or it might have you taking a shit. You never know. It's different for every person, but um, typically those are some of the other side effects. Also too, when you build up 
a tolerance for pre-workout supplements, especially ones that are high in uh, caffeine. Some of the side effects when you when you cycle off of it or don't take it is you definitely have a crabby ass bad mood. You're low energy or lethargic. Um, some people get headaches. I know I do. Um, and yeah, you just don't feel as motivated at all. Uh, you don't feel motivated to, to exercise. You don't feel motivated to do anything. You just feel very slow and sluggish. Um, so yeah, that's another reason why people become heavily dependent on pre-workout supplements to get them through their day, to get them through their workouts. Um, but again, yeah, like I said, one article said that the, the, the effects of cycling on and off doesn't make a difference. You still get the benefits of the use of pre-workout, whether you take it three times a week, one time a week, two times a week, or every single day, you're still going to get the benefits, uh, from the ingredients that are in it if you don't cycle off and that it's not necessary. Meanwhile, the second article that I had read said that there's, again, there's no research that supports cycling on and off, but that taking a break from pre-workout is a good idea. Um, just because prolonged use can, again, it can cause a downgrade of your receptors, meaning that you just become less sensitive to it and it doesn't, it's not as effective as it was in the beginning. Um, and again, the article talked about a schedule of cycling, which is taking pre-workout for six to eight weeks. And then immediately after that, going cold turkey and not taking pre-workout for two to three weeks. Um, again, just to give your receptors more sensitivity um, after you cycle off. So, yeah, man, that is the fitness portion of this episode. And again, um, I'm still a proponent of pre-workout use. I use it three times a week. Um, I enjoy it. I enjoy the benefits of it, even if it's not as strong as it was before. Um, eventually, at some point, I do want to cycle completely off of it for a few weeks or maybe for 30 days and then get back on just to kind of see if the effects of it are as potent as the, the beginning phases for me uh, in regards to my pre-workout use. So, yeah, man, you guys do whatever you want. Do your own Googles, do your research, make sure you know what the hell you're doing. Um, but anyway, with that being said, that was the fitness portion of today's episode. So make sure you download, rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast. We got more episodes on the way. Now, getting into the world of finance. As I always say, it's been wild, it's been wacky, it's been crazy. Um, a lot of shit's been going on. Um... A lot of people's accounts is looking is looking crazy. It's looking red. It's looking bloody in people's accounts. Um, as they say on Wall Street, it's blood in the streets. Um, the market has been falling significantly, and we got some new developments for sure. Um, and then, of course, I want to get into just you know valuing stocks. How do you value the businesses that you that you have inside of your portfolio? Um, and just some of the things that I look at. Um, so yeah, let's get into the business. So basically, as of late, Federal Reserve, they increased interest rates a little while back and the market just went crazy. At first, the market rallied significantly and then obviously it started to tank. So the previous 
lows, 52-week lows for the S&P 500 was 36.36. So 3,000, uh, yeah, 3,300 and Jesus. I can't even say what the hell the number is. Basically, just 36.36. so, uh, 3,363, Jesus Lord. Um, but as of late, uh, S&P 500 at the close on Friday was 3,585.62. So that's 25.58% off of the January 4th highs. Like, man, you know, some analysts obviously were saying, you know, we're definitely going to go lower. Some analysts are are still saying or had said previously that you know the S&P 500 was going to go uh above 4700 it was going to break 4900 and it's just like really even with interest rates increasing even with monetary tightening of financial conditions even with the housing market cooling off and 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 just and really like tanking are you sure about that even with inflation being well over 8% like how no things is getting spicy things is getting wild things is getting crazy the market is continuing to fall significantly um and it's probably gonna be like that for a while who knows how long but maybe well into 2023 um so yeah another thing that's interesting on the west coast is gas in california is above six dollars a gallon and uh Newman or whatever the hell his name is the governor he's uh he's been trying to 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 get them to immediately lower gas prices because of course you know at some point you're going to price out the consumer people are literally not going to be able to get gas because they literally just can't afford it so he's trying to get that under under wraps uh for the winter because apparently they have a winter blend I guess that's a little more efficient or doesn't burn as much as much fuel so yeah craziness um some other interesting tidbits uh 16 wall street firms were fined uh for discussing deals on their personal devices that's crazy um but at the same time it's just like you know what do you expect people to do they're 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 working on deals they're going to talk about deals but when you think about the the SEC and the security aka the Securities Exchange Commission of course they have a lot of rules and regulations that they go by and follow and if you break some of those rules and regulations they finna come for you they going to come for your head top uh so yeah but anyway man getting back to what's been going on in the market the market like i said it's just continued to fall and fall and fall and fall and nobody knows when it's going to rise again um so on the one hand for people that can't handle that it's it's terrible and on the other hand of course for people that are into value and getting things at cheaper prices this is a very opportunistic time um to get in at price levels that you might not see for years to come um so yeah whenever the market starts to rally again to the upside it's like it might it might be for a long time but you never know because even when you look at investors like charlie munger he's talking about hey we might we might be headed for a lost decade to where we might you know we barely might get three or four percent 
per annum uh, on your investments. If that, just because of all the craziness and the secular bull markets that we've had, you know, over the last, I don't know, however many years. Um, so other things that, that you can look at too historically is we have things called secular bear markets and secular bull markets, which are basically just prolonged uh, bear markets or prolonged bull markets. A bull market is when everybody's very enthusiastic and optimistic and buying stocks and the prices are going way up. So if it's secular, it'll last longer, uh, typically maybe like 17 or 18 years or so. And then from there, if you get secular bear markets, which are to the downside, people get extremely pessimistic um, and they sell off, you know, a lot of their positions or a lot of their stock. Um, and over time, of course, you just get downward pressure for 17 to 18 years. So honestly, I'm not sure if we're going into a secular bear market or if we're still in a secular bull market or if it's cyclical. I really have no idea. Honestly, I have not been looking at the, the, the historical cycles too much. Um, although I did read a, a book called Bull by Maggie Mahar which actually breaks down the various secular bull markets and bear markets from like uh, the 1970s up until 2004. Um, definitely a very informative book. And that just kind of breaks down just the psychological behaviors, you know, just how people, you know, try to position their portfolios, what analysts were doing, how analysts were lying about whether they thought the market was going to go up or down uh, on national TV. Um, and trying to just pad their pockets. But um, yeah, man, I say all of that stuff to, to, to basically say that, you know, you have to really understand where we are in the liquidity cycle. You have to understand where we are in the economic cycle. Um, things go in cycles, man. They go round and round. They go up and down. Like, you know, if you look back in history, this is nothing new. If you understand how markets work, the market is not always going to move in an upward traje trajectory. It's not. It's not always going to move upward. Sometimes it is going to fall and it's going to fall fast and it's going to fall far and it might fall for a long time. Um, but honestly, again, nobody really knows. Of course, you got technical analysts, people who look at various types of indicators as far as like price movements and just behavior, behavioral tendencies and things. So they feel like they have a better gauge as to where the market may or may not go. And then you've got other people who look at business fundamentals. They look at income statements, balance sheets, um, and, and they like to look at, okay, what has a company done in the last three, four, five 10 years, um, because that's going to give them an idea of, you know, what their strategy is going to be or whether they should be long or whether they should be short, um, whether they should go to cash or whether they should get in at certain price points or whatever. It's going to be different for every single person. But, um, yeah, one of the most important things is understanding where we are in the economy as a whole. And right now it's clearly, we are clearly in a downturn. Um, a major downturn. Um, like I said, it's 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 as bad as it's been. You know, June. I think June was the previous low. You know, three thousand six hundred thirty-six, and now, like I said, Friday, three thousand five hundred eighty-five sixty-two. Like we're down 
25.5%. So we are all up in this bear market. Um, and yeah, it might get bare. It might get worse than this. Nobody really knows, honestly. But if we're looking at what the Federal Reserve is doing in the, over the short term with raising interest rates, it's going to cause more issues. It's going to cause more downward pressure. But again, strictly looking at being an investor, whether you're a retail investor or institutional investor, Again, this is a very opportunistic time. This is a very beneficial time because stocks are are trading at much lower valuations than they previously were. Last year was easy money. This year, it's like, yo, the market ain't playing no games um, and investors are really panicking. And some investors are just reallocating. Um, some are selling off just to generate uh, a pile of cash to, to get in at lower prices. Um some yeah like i said some are just doing rebalancing um and then obviously some people engage in options trading so they're they're you know having to open or close out positions um to take a profit or or to to cut their losses so that's another thing that happens uh towards you know september october which is why the markets significantly has fallen and usually every september uh it'll get like this september and october is usually like some of the worst months um, for the stock market in general, but also that again depends on your time horizon. It depends on whether you are bearish or bullish. It depends on your asset base. It depends on so many different things, like how many streams of income you have or don't have. Like what you know, just where you're at in regards to your knowledge and understanding of markets as a whole, and understanding who you are as an investor. Um, so yeah, but anyway all of that out the way, um, I quickly want to touch on some things that an individual could look at in regards to trying to value the stocks in their portfolio. So companies are required to uh, report their finances publicly. Um, So the Securities and Exchange Commission has different types of rules and regulations that companies, publicly traded companies need to follow. And one of those things is, hey, we need to see your balance sheets, your income statements, you you know, your profit and loss statements. We need to see everything. What are you doing with the money that's coming in? Um, How much debt you have? Um, you know, how much it costs you to buy, buy products? How much did you sell those products for? What are your risk factors? Um, how did you do last year? How did you do the year before that and the year before that? So that is what we're going to talk about briefly here. So one of the things that I look at personally is something called the consolidated statement of income. Um, other names for it, And this is when you look at a company's 10K report. A 10K is just an annual report. Again, this breaks down all of the finances of a a business. So when you buy stock, go read their 10K report. It's going to tell you what the company does, what their business model is, and it's going to show you what they've done with the money that they made, how much money they borrow, how much debt they have, how many assets that they have. Um, It's going to tell you so many different things, but it just gives you a quick snapshot of where the company was previously for the last quarter or for the last uh, year and then for the last three years. So there's a lot of different names for 
uh, these income statements. Some of them are consolidated statement of operations, um, consolidated statement of earnings, consolidated statement of income. And then uh, in regards to uh, investment companies that have like ETFs and mutual funds, theirs is called investment income. So what is something that I like to look at uh, in regards to an income statement for stock that I buy or business that I buy? I like to look at net sales. And again, there's various names for net sales. There's net sales, there's net operating revenues, there's net revenue, and then there's revenue. Some companies call it sales to customers and some just call it sales. So what what are net operating revenues or what are net sales? Net sales is just how much money the business took in from its sales to customers. Um, it could also be classified, uh, the net sales could also be classified as gross sales minus its returns, allowances, and discounts. Um, so getting into some of the details of this, when you look at a consolidated statement of income, you want to look at, one of the things you want to look at is the net sales or the operating revenues, the net operating revenues. And companies are required to show at least three years of data on their income statements. For example, if you're analyzing an annual report for 2022, you'll likely see financial data including net sales or net revenue for the fiscal years of 2021, 2020, and 2019. So ideally, it's beneficial to look at five years or more of data to begin noticing a trend of either increasing revenues or declining revenues. You also want to consider what kind of business it is, and then you want to take that business and compare it to a, a similar business um, or an identical business that's just a different name. So uh, just a random ass uh, example would be like, maybe you, have, maybe you bought stock at McDonald's. So compare McDonald's to Burger King because a t essentially they're the same. They're fast food restaurants. However, if you really want to get into the minutia and details of it, McDonald's also is huge in the real estate business. I don't know how many locations Burger King has, but anyway, those are more likely to, to, to make a fair comparison when you're looking at their consolidated statement of income and you're looking at their net sales. So again, it's going to show you the last three years. So one of the things you want to see there is continual growth and increase in that number. But that's only one piece of the pie. That's only one element of, of the whole idea um, of the business and how well the business is doing. So again, you want to, like I said, there's a business that you have or a stock that you bought. You want to try to compare it to a similar business. Um, and then from there, you want to look at is the company relatively new or is it well past its prime and is it a is it a mature company how long has the company been around because the net revenue it's it's going to be different based on where the company is in their cycle are they a mature company or are they a very new company because if it's a new company you're going to have to compare that business to a business that is within the same realm as far as their longevity, how long they've been around. Um, 
it, it doesn't make as much sense if you're comparing a mature company to a company that's only been around for five years. Five years is going to give you a little bit of data, but probably not enough to really make um, a legitimate, you know, just a legitimate uh, uh, take on whether you should acquire the company or not via via your stock portfolio. Um, so, yeah, man, again, looking at net sales, that's just one that's just one element of it. So another thing is some people will look at other metrics um, in regards to just how to value the stocks that they own in their portfolio, how to value a business. So some people will look at things like P.E. ratios or they'll look at debt to income ratios. Um, but, yeah, I just I wanted to to basically just give a glimpse of things that I look at just in the very beginning. So another thing too, with, with 10 K reports and annual reports, uh, even before you get to net sales, you're going to see a lot of different things. You're going to look at, they're going to show you who are, who's the, the president and CEO of the company. It's going to look at, you know, the, you're going to see this ticker symbol inside of the annual report. Um, Obviously, you're going to see the New York Stock Exchange. You're going to see uh, you're probably going to see the company is incorporated uh, in Delaware because there's a lot of tax advantages to doing that. And then going through, you'll see things like risk factors. So things that affect the company negatively, whether it's competition or whether it's health related risk or cybersecurity risk or interest rate risk. And then there's other various types of risk. Um, and the, but then also, too, there's a table of contents that will actually help you to find looking at the consolidated statement of income or the balance sheet. Um, or looking at assets and liabilities. But yeah, like I said, one of the things that I like to look at is the net sales. And I like to, to see, is there an increase in net sales over time? Is that increasing? Now, in some, in some ways, that is going to be a good thing. But you also have to look at what are the costs to, to, to earn those sales. Because if the cost of, of net sales is increasing. If the cost of goods sold is increasing, that might not be a good thing because it's offsetting the net sales. So again, there's so many different things to look at, but something that you could start with is looking at net revenues or net sales just to see where the company is at or where they previously were at. Are they, are they increasing their net sales? Are their net sales falling off of a cliff? Because that that could be, again, it could be a good sign. It could be a bad sign. It just depends on what type of investor you are. It depends on your time horizon and your risk factors or your risk tolerance. So you have to be the judge of that yourself. Um, but yeah. And another thing, for those of you who don't know where where to find a consolidated statement of income on a company, you can go to sec.gov backslash Edgar database. From there, you scroll down and you're going to see 8K reports, you're going to see 10Q reports, and then you'll, you're going to look for the 10K annual report. And then from there, you just either turn the pages and go through until you find it, or you go to the table of contents and you look at, again, something that we talked about today, net sales. 
that is going to tell you how much money the business took in from its sales to customers. So, yeah, that's just one element of trying to to start to value a business to see whether it's worth investing in or not. But that is not the only thing you want to look at. If you're going to go through the hassle and, and, and put in the effort to find and read a 10K report or an annual report and you're and you're looking at a consolidated statement of income and you're looking at net sales or net operating revenues, you need to continue to look at the entire report to look at all the finances. Don't just look at net sales, see that they're increasing and then say, okay, I'm going to buy this company because from 2019 to 2021, net sales increased, you know, by, I don't know, 18% per annum for the last three years. So I'm just going to buy it based on that. No, don't do that. That's stupid. And it's dumb. Don't do that. Look at the entire annual report. Net sales, like I said, is just one aspect of an entire uh, process and an entire uh, uh, just story that the company has. Every company has a story. And of course, there's a story within the numbers. So yeah, net sales is just one element of uh, of an entire company. So don't just look at net sales, see that it's moving in, in, in a direction that you like, and then just make an acquisition or make us buy or sell based on that. Really dig in and do your research, do your due diligence. Um, don't be lazy. Net sales is not going to give you the entire picture. Maybe, okay, let's say net sales increase for a company for the last three years significantly or substantially. But guess what? Do you know how much debt the company has? Do you know how much uh, how much risk is involved with the company? Is there any interest rate swap risk? Is there any derivative risk? You know, um, is the company even solvent? Like, do they have the ability to pay off their debt and still have cash left over to put back into the business? Because if they don't, that could be a very bad sign. So yeah, don't just look at net sales and think that that's the only thing you need to look at. There's so much more that you need to look at in regards to a consolidated statement of income. And that's just one piece of the puzzle. So yeah, man, that that pretty much is it, man. If you're really not sure about something in regards to investments that you're making, I would highly suggest that you download or print out or order online a 10K annual report of whatever stocks you own. And then that is going to tell you whether you should make an investment in it or not. But that's completely up to you. And you have to make your own judgments of that. Um, But again, that 10K report, that annual report, it's really going to open your eyes up to a lot to a lot of different things in regards to how the company is being managed. If it's being managed efficiently or 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 if they're really just underwater and just bullshitting you. so yeah, and even still, there is a discipline and skill set to looking at and analyzing 10K reports. Um, and even for me, I'm not at that level yet. I'm just in the beginning phases of analyzing the numbers of a company via the 10K reports. Um, there are some things that they'll put in reports that 
you know, is right in front of you. And you might think everything is hunky dory. Everything is all good. Everything is Gucci. But really, they're hiding things from you right there in the numbers. Um, But you might misinterpret those numbers and think that, oh, yeah, this is a good company because then I like the numbers. They look good. And this is right here, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, look at the footnotes. Read the footnotes. Footnotes are just basically that's a company's like fine print where they put at the bottom, they basically break down what they did and why they did it and how it's affecting the company. Um, so yeah, man, really, really dig in and just become a detective in regards to annual reports and consolidated statements of income. Um, so you can really gauge whether you're making a sound investment in a company. Um, because again, you want to think of yourself as a business owner. Um, and if you're not thinking of yourself as a business owner, you're you're just you're pretty much just a speculator. You're gambling. You're not really serious about your craft and you're not really concerned with the the long term implications or possibilities of the business's growth. Um, so, yeah, man, that is that's my two cents on that. Um you know what I'm saying you could do what you want with that. Um, but again, I'm stupid, I'm dumb, I don't know anything. Don't listen to me. This is for informational purposes only. This is for entertainment purposes only. So, yeah, man, do your own Googles, do your research, do your due diligence, talk to and consult with a professional financial advisor. Um, and go from there, man. Do what you do. Um, I'm just telling you things that I do and things that I'm concerned with and things that I like to look at in regards to beginning to value businesses inside of my investment portfolio. Um, So, yeah, man, crazy times we're in is really getting interesting. Um, So we'll see what the hell happens over the next, you know, I don't know, three to five years. But for now, we got more episodes on the way and we definitely will continue to break down uh, consolidated statements of income and 10 care reports, annual reports. And we'll just take it a day at a time, a week at a time, one step at a time. Um, just to kind of put out the information that these advisors don't put out or that some of these other, you know, companies may not put out in general. Um, and also too, just to kind of direct people like, well, where do you find this information? Again, you go to sec.gov backslash Edgar database. You type in the ticker symbol for the company that you own, and then you look for the 10 K report. And that's going to tell you what the company did in the last three years. And then you can even look back a little bit further. You can look at the last five years, the last 10 years, as far back as it'll, as it'll let you go. Um, but yeah, again, that's going to really start to show you a trend of whether the company is, is increasing its value or decreasing its value. Um, so yeah, man, that is that. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you download, rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast. We got more episodes on the way. So with that being the case, you already know who it is. I'm not going to say it again. I'm out.